And I'm thankful that hope is calling us here today. Because you know what? There is no way to live without hope. The only way we can really have a productive, real, fulfilling, life-giving life is if we have a, a, a confidence that we do have a better future. Now, a great place to go to find out where people of hope or hopelessness are is to walk through a cemetery. Yeah, go and read the epitaphs on some of the tombstones that mark graves. Has anybody in here ever given any thought to what you want on your tombstone at your grave? Now, I know that's a terrible thing to ask right now, but, but just have you ever thought about it? Because an epitaph is, is a few words that attempt to basically describe uh, who this person was and what they stood for and what their life was like. I actually came across some actual, actual tombstones that are supposedly to exist and their epitaphs. And, and there's some interesting ones that, that exist around the world. And this particular one takes place in England. It's in a cemetery in England. I think it's going to be on the screen. Yeah, there it is. It says, the children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him Anna. I may tell you more about Anna than clerk, I guess, maybe. But th- this next one is in New York. It's, it's Henry, Henry, Harry Edsel Smith. It says, looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was. This is one of Lester Moore. Now, Lester here, he, he uh, was a cowboy. And he was a cowboy that uh, was a, a Wells Fargo guard. And he actually is buried. This, this is supposed to be in Tombstone, Arizona at Boot Hill. The OK Corral stuff. And it says this. It says, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44. No less, no more. (laughs) Think about it a moment. This one actually exists in England. And it says this. I'm all ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is ready for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. And that's actually Winston Churchill's epitaph. This one is in Nova Scotia, supposedly. And this is Ezekiel Akel, age 102. The good die young. And I think this is my favorite. This is actually supposed to be in a Georgia cemetery. And this is William H. Hahn Jr., 1905 to 1980. I told you I was sick. I love that one. That's just sort of sticking it in your face is what I like about that. But there's a, in the Roman world, the first century, during the time of the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ, you could walk through thousands of gravesides and and graveyards, and you would see a very common epitaph on hundreds of thousands of of grave markers. And I, I want you to see this one. And when you read this, it's not a funny one. It's really quite sobering. And you read this. What does this tell you, perhaps, about the individual? Let's go to the next one. It says this. I was not. I was. I am not now. I don't care. I mean, that was a common epitaph on on grave markers throughout the roman empire and it really says to me there's a lot you could probably conclude about this individual but one of the things it says to me is this was a person without hope or this was a person whose hope was very fleeting because to them it didn't give them a confidence of of real life and then life after death and though in the roman empire although it was it was the empire of the world at that time and it was basically taken up the whole world had tremendous power. The people within the empire struggled with tremendous sense of meaninglessness. They really were trying to figure out what is this all about? And they really had a lost sense of hope. 
They very much felt like their lives were just manipulated by, by unchanging, unseen forces that just sort of uh, 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 manipulated them by, by the whims of the gods. And there wasn't really any kind of direction to life. And it basically, whatever was going to happen to them was going to be based on the mood of the gods at a given day, at a given time. And when you look throughout all of different cultures of history, every culture has strong evidence that every people of that culture struggles with this idea of meaninglessness, this idea of what's in the future. Even in our culture today, in our highly technological advances of the world in which we live, in all of our high education and all of our understandings of sociology and psychology, you would think we would really have a hold on this idea of a, of a real hopeful future. But the thing is, what culture offers us in terms of hope often fails. I mean, businesses fail. Investments fail. Jobs fail. Products fail. Governments fail. Political parties fail. Marriages fail. Families fail. Everything the culture says to us says, join this, become a part of this, uh, 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 elect me, uh, uh, do this, and, and, and you'll have a future, you'll have hope, and they fail. But, you know, my dad, he just turned 80 two weeks ago. And, and he, he often would tell me, I've, I've heard him say this many, many times, that when he was in college, he believed if he could just make $100 a week, he'd have it made. His future would be set. If $100 a week, you can't live on $100 a week today. And the idea there is that no matter what we put our hope in in terms of this culture, it changes, it, it fails, it says, hey, you do this, I'll be there and then it's not. See, we need more than a hope so in our lives. We need more than wishful thinking. We need a hope that is rock solid, that nothing can change. It'll never change, and it won't change, and nothing can change it. And that's the hope that the Apostle Paul talks to us about in Ephesians. And if you happen to have a Bible and want to turn there, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. It's between the books of Galatians and Philippians. You're, you're more than welcome to go there. But the, the scriptures will be on the screen. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, which was a, a, uh, a prolific uh, major city in the Roman Empire at the time. And he's writing to the church to remember their hope. And in verses uh, 15 through 18, this is what Paul writes. He says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. And now he's going to tell them the prayer that he prays for them. I keep asking that the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The spirit of wisdom and revelation there is the Holy Spirit saying that you may know him better. Next week, uh, Jeremy's going to be talking to you about how to know God intimately. And then Paul goes on, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Say hope. May know the hope to which he has called you. Paul's saying a part of this prayer is that, that the very depth of your being, the, the, eyes, the eyes of your understanding, the very depth of your being will be wide open and fully illuminated to grasp the full understanding of what this calling to hope is, what this hope really is. Well, what is this hope he's talking about? Well, let's look at this idea of hope. Hope, first of all, has, has two portions to it. There's a feeling of hope. And the feeling of hope basically tells us that, that that's, that's a longing for a better future. Every one of us has a longing for a better future. It's a desire. It's a, it's a want. It's something that drives us. And I believe it's God-given in every individual that God places that within us because as we look to hope, 
It's going to take us to Him. But we need more than a feeling. We need more than just a longing of hope. And that takes us to the next part of hope, and that is faith. Faith of hope. And a faith of hope basically tells us that uh, we have an absolute certainty of a better future. That it's based on something that is foundational, that will not change, that is convincing us, that is basically proven that it will not change and it will hold on to our future no matter what happens. That's a faith of hope. But it's not a faith in some kind of, of religious platitude or in kind of philosophical ideal. But it's in something real, it's in something that's historical, it's in something that, that will not change. And that's where Paul takes us to this source of hope. Where does this hope come from? Where can we put our faith to get this absolute certainty of a future hope? Well, he takes us to God in Christ. That's what he's basically been trying to tell us since the opening of this letter. From the opening of this letter in the first 18 verses, we've looked at the first 15 for the past four weeks together. And looking at this, Paul has basically said this, look, he said, God has made you the best life possible. He's chosen you for that life. He's given that life to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the best life possible that God chose us specifically for is found in Christ. And he wants us to know this life and to experience this life and accomplish this life so badly that when we choose to follow Christ, Paul says that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes inside of us to confirm this is our life and that we can live and accomplish this very life. That's what he tells us in those first 15 verses. Now he's telling us, hey, I'm praying that you get that. I'm praying that you understand it. And that's where your hope comes from, this God in Christ. Now he says something as a part of this prayer. He says, I pray that you know the calling of your hope. But then he says something else that he prays about. Again, this is in verse 18 if you want to look there. He says that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's the second thing that he's praying for, but it connects to this idea of being called to hope. And this really helps us to see the solidity of the hope that's available to us in God through Jesus Christ. Paul uses a phrase here, to the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. Now, what that isn't telling us, it isn't saying about the inheritance that followers of Christ are going to receive in eternity for all eternity. Yes, the Bible promises that. Yes, the New Testament tells us all about followers of Christ are going to get this inheritance for all eternity in eternity. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about here literally that the followers of Christ are actually God's inheritance. That God is blessed to have us as his possession. That he is blessed to have us as his glorious inheritance. Look at your neighbor and say, God likes you. Now look at somebody else and say, but God likes me more. I mean, he loves having us as his possession. He loves it. You know, I know people, I know families that before their parents ever died to leave them an inheritance... The siblings, the, the offspring went through the house writing their names on possessions that they wanted when their parents died. I mean, claiming that stuff. I know have families who have fought tooth and nail to keep and get their inheritance. Here's the point. The point is God will not lose his inheritance. God will not misplace us. He will not throw us away. He will not turn his back on us because we bless him by being his prized possession. That's how solid our hope is. 
But you may be thinking, you know, that sounds good, but that sounds just like religious speak. I mean, don't all religions claim this? Don't all religions basically claim an eternal life? Don't all religions basically talk about there's going to be a utopia? Don't they talk about there's going to be a paradise? Don't basically all religions talk about that? So what makes the Christian faith different? And why can we trust the Christian faith more? How do we know? How do we know this hope is real? Well, there's one single event that no other faith can claim that the Christian faith claims and the Christian faith is completely built upon. You remove this event from the Christian faith, the Christian faith falls like a house of cards and becomes like every other type of religion. And that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what solidifies the hope, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. This is a historically documented, eyewitness recorded account This resurrection of Christ. And I'm not talking about a historical figure that was just described by the gospel writers. But Jesus Christ is a real historical figure described by non-biblical writers. Historians of the day that were just telling the history of that time in that location. And they talk about Christ. In fact, if you remove all the gospels, if we didn't have the gospels, you could practically piece together the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus just from the other historical records. We're not talking about a hope in some religious platitude or some type of philosophical ideal. We're talking about a hope in a historical figure, documented and eyewitness recordings that said, Jesus Christ said, you follow me and you'll have eternal life. And then they saw him die on a cross. Now, if that was it, if Jesus said, you follow me, you have eternal life, and then he died on a cross and nothing else happened, then you just put this over there on the long list of other things that failed that said they would give us hope because that's all it is. But these same eyewitnesses, these same people saw where he was buried. They went there three days after his death and that thing was empty. And then they encountered him over 500 people for 40 days after his resurrection encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about a Casper ghost floating around. I'm talking about a flesh, blood, body. They touched him. They heard him. They ate with him. They saw the scars on his body from where he died. In fact, Paul, that we're reading here. He was the greatest skeptic of all. In fact, he persecuted the church. He didn't he believed Jesus was a heretic. But you know what happened? The resurrected Jesus appeared to him. He talked to him and Paul heard him. And Paul went from persecuting the church to promoting Jesus Christ. Why? Because this Jesus lives. And if he claimed he would raise from the dead, guess what? Then he can claim and we can believe that he holds the future that we have in the palm of his hand. Paul connects this resurrection to this hope. In fact, looking again in Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verses 18 through 20, we're continuing in this prayer. He says this, that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And here's a third thing he's praying for. His incomparably great power for us who believe. Now he defines that power. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then look, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule 
and authority. Two weeks from today, we're going to talk about this power and how this power can really come alive in our lives. But what is he saying? He's saying, look, I'm going to tell you what this hope's connected to. It's connected to this power of this resurrection. Christ is raised from the dead, but guess what? He sits at the right hand of God. You know what that means? It means he has all authority and he has all power. Why can't I know with absolute certainty that I have a better future in Jesus Christ? Because he came and he lived and he died, but he raised from the dead and he has conquered every force or power that comes against me to keep me from living the life that he's chosen and made for me to live. Man, that's where the absolute certainty of my better future resides, it resides in Christ. That's why I can put faith in something that's solid. But does that mean I just got to sort of hold on in this life until I either die or he comes so I can get a hold of this hope? I mean, is it just hang on for dear life? No. No. Because that hope begins now. Paul says we're called to hope. This idea of a calling to hope is talking about a way of life. So let's look at this idea of being called to hope. The word called has, has two meanings here. It means an invitation to a feast. An invitation to a feast. You know, when you call somebody, you summon them, you beckon them. This idea of being called to hope, we're called to a feast. In the Greek, that's what it was talking about, being called to a party, being called to a celebration. The understanding of the church is that this is the invitation of God to spend all eternity with Him in His kingdom of paradise. That that's the celebration and feast that He's calling us to. Every follower of Christ, that is our destination. That's what God wants from everybody. He wants everybody to spend eternity with Him in this kingdom of paradise that He has for us. That's why He's given us Jesus Christ. Every follower of Christ has this future ahead of them. And that's the invitation that we have from God. And in this place, no sickness, no disease, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, no death. Man, it's going to be the best life ever. That's what's available. That's what's ahead of us. It's the best way of life. That's one part of calling. We're invited to that. That's a part of our hope. But the word called also means this. It means commissioned. It means commission to a certain way of life. When I'm called to something, I'm sent forth. When I'm called to something, it becomes who I am. It becomes my way of life. You and I that are followers of Christ, we are called to live by the now of the kingdom that's not yet. I I failed to mention the kingdom we're talking about is the not yet. That's the not yet of our future. It hasn't come yet. But we're able to live By that now in this fallen world because of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God brings to us this life. This life that's available to us in this paradise. The the joy of it. The peace of it. The hope of it. The the goodness of it. The Holy Spirit now comes to reside within Father Christ. So we can begin to live that life now. In this fallen world. In essence, we could say it this way. That this, this life of call to hope, it, it's not living tomorrow based on today. But it's living today based on tomorrow. I, I, want you to, I want you to say that with me. Can you say that with me? Say it out loud. Not living tomorrow based on today. But living today based on tomorrow. See, when I'm living tomorrow based on today, you know what that means? It means to me that I'm living by the pain of my past and the trouble of my present is determining my outlook on tomorrow. 
that I'm living by the hope so. I'm living by the feeling. I hope tomorrow is better than today. I hope tomorrow was better than my yesterday. I hope whatever smidgen of goodness I had today can come to me tomorrow. But the hope of Christ is just the opposite. That my today is shaped by the hope of my tomorrow. That the joy, that the best life that's available to me in Christ is happening now. The best life of the paradise of the kingdom is beginning to penetrate into my life now and impact the world that I'm in. This isn't the idea of, of being in, living in a false reality. I'm not talking about living in a state of denial. I'm not talking about walking around as if there is no suffering and if there is no pain and if there is no hurt. Absolutely not. It's just the opposite. I'm walking around and I'm saying, yeah, there is pain. There is hurt. There is, there is suffering. That is the reality. But there's a greater reality that I have in Christ to live by. That I impact and I engage and I infuse that which is around me. Paul gets this again. And another writing he has in the New Testament called Thessalonians. He says this. Now, I want you to get a hold of this now. He's talking about people that have died in Christ. He's talking about people that grieve because they've lost these, lost these loved ones. Here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm going really fast. You can tell, can't you? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. I communicate for a living, so don't try this at home. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. He says this. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, those who have died in Christ. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. What did Paul say? I'll tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say followers of Christ don't grieve. He said followers of Christ don't grieve as people without hope. See, that's, that's dealing with the pain and the suffering and the hurt of today. With the hope and the joy and the peace of tomorrow. That, it, that, that, that I'm engaging that. With what I know to be an absolute certainty. In Christ. And that shapes the way I live. So that I engage this world with the better way of life. That is mine in Christ. That, that is of the paradise. The kingdom paradise that has yet to come. And Paul again gets a hold of this in this very writing, in this very letter to the Ephesians. Over in chapter 4, it'll be on the screen. If you have a Bible, you want to turn over there, you can do that as well. But Paul carries this idea over into chapter 4 of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 4, here's what Paul writes. Now get a hold of this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now what did he just say? We're called to hope. Now what he just said? He's saying here, live a life worthy of the calling. And a part of that calling as a follower of Christ is that I live by this hope. Well, how do I do that? He says, be completely humble and gentle. Let me ask you a question. Does our society breed humility and gentleness? It breeds pretty much the opposite, doesn't it? But the better way, the hopeful way, is to engage this world with humility and gentleness. He said, be patient. Do, do I even need to discuss that at all? I mean, this society doesn't breed patience. But Paul is saying the hopeful life engages this life with patience. He goes on. He says, bearing with one another in love. Man, does our society, does our culture promote this idea of, of being committed to somebody? 
of holding on to them even when they're not lovable? Does our society promote this idea of, 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 of really hanging in there with people? No, our society promotes this idea. Man, if they ain't giving you nothing back, cut them loose. The hopeful way, the way of Christ is, no, you, you hang in there with people. Why? Because God hung in there with us and still does. He goes on, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. It's not a culture of peace. But the better way, the hopeful way is to engage it with peace. And then he goes on. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called. That commission. It's an invitation, but it's a commission. Now, What does this mean? How can we really be hopeful people? When the opening reading that we had right before the message, they talked about a string of things about being hopeful. I'm just going to share these very quickly with you. It's this. If I'm going to be a person who is living this life of hope, it's being a person who speaks hope. It's being a person who speaks hope. I want to ask you a question. When we talk, are our words primarily filled with hope? Or are our words primarily filled with complaining and griping and grumbling? See, people of hope speak hope. People of hope claim hope. See, these are the words of the one who gives us hope. These are the truth-filled, hope-filled words of the one who claims our hope. And this is the thing we are to stand on. These words of hope. I want to ask you, what, what shapes our life? Does the sound bite of our culture shape our life? Or do the words of the hope of the one who claims hope for us? We speak hope. We claim hope. We live hope. It's living today based on tomorrow. We share hope. What are our lives? Do our lives, do we invest hope in other people? When people are around us and they leave our presence, do they leave more hope-filled? Do they leave feeling better about themselves and better about tomorrow? Or when they leave our presence, do they go, if I ever get with that person again, it'd be way too soon. Do we speak hope? Do we claim hope? Do we live hope? Do we share hope? And then do we build hope? Building hope in one another. See, that's why we're so emphatic about coming together in the corporate expression on a regular basis because this is what builds hope with one another. It's, it's, it's why we're so emphatic about encouraging you to be a part of a life group, a smaller group experience. You come together in smaller groups so you can really hear the hope stories of one another. It's why we encourage people to really find a place in the body to serve. You know, I, I've, been, I've been in ministry 26, I've been married 28 years and and. When I married my wife, I was a business person and, and she married, she, she vowed she would never marry a preacher. Three months later, I was preaching and she's been upset with God ever since, I think. But uh, <laughs> we've been married 28 years, celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary just last month. And 27 of those 28 years have been in full-time ministry. 20 of those 27 years, I've been a part of this Mount Perrin ministry. And I cannot tell you, I cannot count the number of stories. I cannot count them. Of people who have had a place of service in the body. And people who have come and said, you know what? Let me tell you what really began to change my life. It's when somebody shook my hand out in the front. 
and said, welcome. We, we, we pray you have a great day today. When, when somebody helped me find a seat and they were so kind to me, when somebody was helping with my child and my child was hurting and they came back, how much they talked about, how much they enjoyed and how nice that person was to me. Let me, let me tell you what changes lives. I want to tell you, I believe in the teaching and the preaching of God's word and it goes forth and it changes life. But I want to tell you something that changes it just as equally. And that's the people of God sowing hope into other people's lives. Can I, can I tell you what these string of things basically are? It's talked about being a people of Christ. That's what it boils down to. People of hope are a people of Christ. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up quickly, if they would, please. Let, let me tell you what this hope does. Let, let me tell you what this hope does. This hope enables someone to walk into a hospital room and to see a woman laying there on the bed, eaten up with cancer. No hope given to her by the doctors. And stand there with her husband and stand there with her grown children and their families, about 12, 13 people in one hospital room, and stand there with them and the husband look at me and say, Pastor, we want to have communion together. And to administer communion... And then them say to me, Pastor, we want to sing worship choruses. Lead us in some worship choruses. And begin to worship God in that hospital room. And at one point in time, everybody in the room having their hands raised to God, including the woman with cancer, having her hands raised to God, giving glory to God. You know what that is? That's living today based on tomorrow. They felt the pain. They knew the sorrow. They felt the hurt. But they were infusing that with a greater reality. That lady died two days later. And I know she's with the Lord. Why do I know that? Number one, she was a follower of Christ. And number two, Jesus Christ lives. That's how I know. That's the type of hope. It's a hope that enables you to stand in front of another woman. Totally emaciated with cancer. She probably didn't weigh 90 pounds. Just skin and bones. Who had visited Atlanta. Came to our church. Came to me after the service. And said, I don't live here. In fact, she had a friend of hers literally holding her up. She was so weak. She said, we came to Atlanta to, to, as a last resort, as a last hope. To have doctors to examine me to see if I had, there was any treatment that could be done. And they've told me there's nothing they can do. She said, we came to your church because we heard that you're a church that believes in praying for people to be healed. And I want you to pray for me. And another pastor and me laid hands on that young lady and prayed for her. She said, I'm going back to my family in another state so they can take care of me. Six months went by and I, I never heard from her, never uh, saw her. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I completely forgot about her. Six months later, after a service, this woman comes walking up to me and she looked at me and says, you don't recognize me, do you? I said, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, do you remember praying for a woman that had cancer six months ago that had no hope to live? I said, yeah, yeah. She said, that's me. She was completely healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is what she told me. She told me, she said, I was healed. And the doctors have marked it down as a miracle. I'm talking about, that's the hope I'm talking about here, folks. Now, I don't know. I don't have any answer except one to the reason as to why some folks get healed in this life and then some folks don't. 
This is the only answer I have concerning followers of Christ. Why did the first woman not get healed in this life? Because I believe her commission was over and she was receiving the invitation to come to the feast. It was time to come to the feast. Why did this other woman get healed? Because her commission wasn't over and she was being sent forth again to sow hope into this world. That's the hope I'm talking about, folks. It's the hope that's in this room. Because the resurrected Lord by His Spirit is in this place. I invite you to close, bow your head and close your eyes if you would, please. And I know I have preached really rapidly and I trust somewhere along the way the truth of what God might be saying to you got into your heart. But I'll tell you what I want to do. and I want to, I want, We're going to take a moment to pray for you. I, I, I believe there are folks, I believe there's several that need a resurgence of this living hope of Christ in your life. Some of you may be here and you're sick and, 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 and you need prayer. Maybe you have a sick loved one that you might want to stand in for for prayer. Maybe, maybe you're, you've got relationship issues that are, that are, that are so tough, you're, you're struggling to see any hope. Maybe you've got, you've got job or financial related issues. It's just tough for you to have a sense of, man, I just, I just don't know if anything's going to clear up for me. Maybe for you, you just find yourself, you just find yourself more living tomorrow based on today than living today based on tomorrow. And you want prayer. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, to do something that may feel a little awkward. But, but I'm going to invite you to do it anyway, even if it's just one person or no people. But you want prayer. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to stand where you are. I'm not going to ask you to walk down an aisle. I'm just going to ask you to stand. If you want to go ahead and do that, you need prayer and you want to stand, you're more than welcome to do that right now. You want prayer. You need hope. I want you to stand where you are. You stand where you are. I know I made that very confusing, but, but forgive me. Just stand where you are. You, you need hope. You need that prayer. You, you need that resurgence. You stand where you are. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing to be ashamed of. Absolutely not. The beginning of hope is the admission that I need it. And that's what you're doing right here. Now, if you're a follower of Christ that knows this living Jesus as the source of your hope, and there's somebody standing where you are, I want you to stand up, and I want you to move to them and just place a hand where they are right now. Just place a hand on them. Because we're going to believe this together. We're going to believe this together. For those that stood, I thank you for your courage. I thank you for your faith. We're going to believe one for the other right now. Father God, we don't come in the authority of ourselves. We come in the authority of your son, Jesus Christ. We come in the one who claimed that he was eternal life. And he proved that claim by conquering death and bodily resurrecting. And sitting at your right hand now above all authority and rule. And sending us your Holy Spirit guaranteeing this hope. We pray right now for those that stood. Those that need healing, God. We're praying for your healing in Jesus' name. Those that stood for a loved one that needs healing. We're praying for their healing in Jesus' name. Father, those that just need relationship, relationship reconciliation. We're praying for that in Jesus' name, Father. Those that need a job and they're just struggling with, with unemployment. God, we're praying for comfort and peace to come to them, Father. We're praying, God, that you're going to do a miracle and bring them the job that they need. 
Whatever the reason why people stood, Father, I'm praying now. I'm praying now. There's a transformation that's happening inside of them. That now, God, we're not going to live tomorrow based on today. But we're going to live today based on tomorrow. And Father, for those in this room that need to choose to follow Jesus Christ, I pray right now they're making that decision to follow Him. And they know this hope right now. And God, in Jesus' name, we believe. We have an absolute certainty. Our future belongs to you. Because Jesus Christ lives. Let it be so for your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you give God praise in this place? Give Him praise in this place.